Welcome to the Permaculture Pimp Cast, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the Permaculture Pimp Cast, where we discuss perma- permaculture from a pragmatic point of view. I'm Billy. And I'm William. And pimp mean, ex- it mean, it mean, listen to me. <laughs> I've been listening to too much Snoop. It means exactly what you think it does. Permaculture is my passion. How you doing, son? Good. Uh, sorry if I stink. Just got back from jujitsu. Yeah. I can smell myself, that's for sure. Actually, it's not myself. I'm smelling the other guy. Careful what you're saying here, son. <laughs> I'm smelling man. the other guy because he hasn't washed his gi in a few days. So, I'm dealing with that. Yeah. I forgot about the stinky the stinky people <laughs> that come to practice. I have the courtesy of taking a sh- I take the courtesy of taking a shower before going to practice. And I'll take one after practice. Yeah, what There's a, a lot of people who don't do that. Well, son, we were pretty close to Asheville, man. So that little stink thing, dude. Me and your mom went I'll to fit the uh, right in in Asheville. Yeah, bro. We went to this uh, farmers market last week just to see what was up on Saturday. Actually, hit a couple of them. One near the town we live in, and then went to the one in Asheville uh, near uh, UNC. And I'm telling you what, man. Look, y'all. Hey, for the. Uh, for the real deep people out there, you know, the ones that got to tell everybody you're vegans when you first meet them, look, there is no shame in using soap, man. I It was it was also, something else, man. Half the time, you don't have to tell us you're a vegan. We can see. We know. Yeah, but dude, we're <laughs> over there. Check this out. They got this one place, Cecilia's, where whenever I see the food truck there, I usually go hit them up no matter where they are. And, um, of course, there's a little bit of a line. I'm waiting there. Of course, your mom's out doing her thing. And... I don't know why it is every single time, every atheist and every vegan has to find a way to tell you I'm atheist or I'm vegan. The, the menu right there at this place tells you everything that's in whatever you're getting empanada. It doesn't matter. And so she gets up there and asks for this. And then the guy says, okay, I'll get, you know, his English isn't great, but he's basically saying, I go get it. Oh no, no, no. I forgot. I'm, I'm vegan. We are vegan. She's with this other girl. She like, ordered that just so she could tell him. Exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. So, hey, vegans out there, nobody cares. And yeah, like William nobody always cares says, you're vegan. And we already knew beforehand. That's right. That's right. All right, y'all. So, tip of the day. Well, I guess I better get into the topic. We're going to look, folks, don't tune out. This is of profound importance. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people seem to ignore it. We're going to discuss zones today, permaculture zones and why it matters. This is a pretty important thing. Am I wrong, son? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a very important thing to understand in permaculture because you can have the most the best design set up in the world, but it doesn't mean anything if it's not properly located on your farm. Well, the design, that's all part of your design is the zones, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, okay, tip of the day right out of the gates, y'all. Big one. <laughs> and it's important. Always train your pigs to fence, electric fence, when they're young. Okay, here's a little <laughs> trick I learned from Joel Salatin, it, and it works. It's legit. When you have those pigs and they're little, um, you want to get them acclimated to electric fence. Okay, how old? Well, we've done it as early as when they were weaned. Um, when they're little wet noses, hit that electric fence. No matter what you're using, they need to be able to know what not to do. Now, 
this is the thing I learned from Joel is unlike other animals out there, pigs are one of those ones that when they hit a hot wire, their natural compulsion is to want to drive through it. And believe me, when a pig gets into an electric net, you can forget all about that net. Yeah, that net is destroyed. Yeah. And they're going to drag it forever. Yes. And it'll be done shocking them, and they'll keep dragging it. Yes, they will drag that thing like nothing you've ever seen. I can't even tell you how many times we've had to repair those things. Now, Joel doesn't use a net. He uses like a couple of strands of, uh, I think it's number 14 wire. May even be number 12, but that's not important. The thing is, look, I had somebody reach out and said, hey, man, I can't get this pig to stay inside the electric net. Well, they can, they're so smart that they can learn afterwards, but the key into training them to electric net is make sure you have an immovable object on the other side of it because the first thing they're going to do, they're going to hit it, they're going to drive through, but they cannot be allowed to get through it. Otherwise, they're going to keep on doing it. So when they're little, that's when it's easiest to do. So if you get an older pig in there, I'm sure there's a way to train them as well, but you're going to need a more stout fence. You're going to need something that really holds up for them pushing up against it because they're going to push for a second. They're going to realize, okay, this ain't what's going to happen. You know, I'm not getting through this, and then they'll back off. So make sure you train your pigs early on to electric net. You'll be glad you did. Yep, and train them to a bucket. That helps when they do get out. They'll just follow you wherever you go with a bucket. Right, just have that Pavlovian response. And, um, you know, a lot of people think, just a little side note, man, a lot of people think that, they don't want pigs because it's, you know, it's going to be this nightmare. But pigs, folks, I know some of you think I'm crazy, but go out and find out for yourself. Pigs are far easier to manage than chickens. You hear that, Jason? That's why you should do pigs over in the suburbs of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see how that one pans out. Yeah. All right, farm news. Okay, folks, we got a lot of tomatoes blowing up right now. Like so many people, harvest is coming in, so we are busy and which is the hardest part of gardening is dealing with the harvest. That's right. That's right. And one of the big ways, you know, in the past, we used to do a lot of canning and we still do. We haven't done any as of late. Well, I'm about to because I got a bunch of tomatoes that I'm going to turn into uh, sauce. Um, so that's going to be, you know, that's not something I'm going to put in a freeze dryer. So that requires some, uh, you know, water bath canning for that. But also a lot of the things that come in, son, thank God for having this freeze dryer, man. Yeah, that really helps out putting away a lot of harvest pretty quickly yeah I mean, you just have to slice it up or process it minimally freeze it and then put it in the freeze dryer man i'll tell you what i was on the fence about that thing for the longest time until ben's from ben from uh renewed homestead kind of brought it up to me i talked about it before in a previous cup podcast but man i gotta say that thing is it's worth its weight in gold and it, if you can share it with somebody to cut the cost maybe that's a possibility it almost makes sense to get another one i mean if like depending on how big your guys's gardens are it might I don't know if they have a bigger capacity one. That's the biggest one, the one we have. Well, yeah. I mean, if you guys are doing like acre gardens and you're trying to preserve it, I don't think one freeze dryer, dryer is going to keep up. No, no. But that's, you know, we do the best we can. And honestly, because your food that you have growing out of your garden is alive, it's real food. It's not like that stuff in the store where they, they grow it specifically for shipability, appearance, and flavor is not even something they consider. Um, it's a whole different thing on your homestead. You'll notice food has a shelf life and it should. And you want the best tasting version of that food. That's exactly why you want to grow this stuff at home. So, Hey, so on the, on that heel, son, um, with all the things that we have going on, um, you were on the road recently and we'll get into that and the reasons why. Um, and you're only getting back just yesterday as a matter of fact, but yeah, you yesterday. know, there are things 
especially this time of year, especially with all that we have going on that are getting away from you. So, or away from us. So folks, the folks that are reaching out and you're frustrated and you're aggravated, look, you're not the only ones. We are too. Everybody is that does this. It's the struggle of trying to do the work you need to do and to put it away. It can be tough. Yeah. And guys, as far as like the comments and the emails and just responding to everything, please have patience with us. It is just us doing this. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't have a crew, man. No, it would, it would be awesome if we could hire like a social media and email manager just to sort the emails correctly. Yeah. Because I'm getting emails that are relevant to him and he's getting them relevant to me. So, and then trying to figure out which ones are the fake ones and I mean, which is easy, but it still takes time to click on it, read it, and find out which one's which. Right. And if I'm shorting my response, y'all, I have to be shortened to the point because I can't spend five to ten minutes on every email or I'd never get anything done around here. So if I'm short, it's not because I'm being rude or anything. It's just I have to get through a lot of emails. So, um, And I thank you all for reaching out, and I thank you for the questions you brought yeah, in. Yeah, the emails are awesome. We're by no means are we discouraging anybody. It's just it is just us. Right. Right. So let's get into another thing on the farm. Uh, bone sauce. Um, okay. I want to, I want to make sure I cover this. This is kind of important. Bone sauce was originally made for fruit trees and a lot of people have expanded it and we've done it too. We've, we've not had any problems regarding any of that, but what we did notice as of late. Now, let me back up a little bit. Justin from Metcalf Mills, who just lives down the road from us. I mean, he's got eight generations up here in these mountains. We've only got what? Uh, almost three years come November. And he was telling me, man, this, these deer are doing things I ain't never seen before. So I gave him some bone sauce to put around his peas and it worked out. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, even though we have bone sauce slapped on most of what we had in here, it gave me a level of complacency. So all the trees that we put in, um, because we haven't seen a deer at all out here. Not until like, just recently. Very recently, yeah. Right, and I'm going to cover that because what had happened, all of a sudden I go out here and all the deer on the other side of our driveway, basically our driveway is being flanked with an orchard all the way up it, okay? And we're, at least we're getting there. And so all the trees that I recently put in, I didn't put any bone sauce on them. And I, I was working on a video. We're going to have to reshoot it, but I'm working on a video showing you all the trees on the one side of the road that were hit with bone sauce, not one of them was touched. But several of the trees on the other side of the road. And you can tell deer damage when you see it. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Every single one that I did not touch with bone sauce, the deer, they, they didn't destroy them. It's nothing that can't be recovered from, but they, they're getting so brave that they're not eating the ones that had it directly on there, but they have been nibbling on the ones that haven't. Have they messed with those apples that you planted on the outside of the, f- no, the driveway? No, because I covered every last one of them in bone sauce. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. every so one they have to walk past those to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They walk past those to get to the trees they were working on. And every last one of them, I didn't put any bone sauce on. I put it on those because it was on, on the outside of the fence. So I didn't put any on the ones here. So look, moral to the story is bone sauce works directly. If you put it directly on Now, let me back up a little bit. It works by and large for many people out there that are putting it in their gardening spaces. You know, you can put stakes around the perimeter, put the bone sauce on there, and it seems to work out perfectly for a lot of people. Some people are saying it's working on raccoons. I'm pretty sure it's not. Some people are saying that it's working on rodents. I'm not so sure about that, but I think it might. Some of you possibly, I I really don't know. 
Well, mean, we, we haven't tested it for I that. Guess, but not specifically, but we don't have any issues in our raised beds either. And well, they're out in the open, unprotected. Yeah, well, we slapped so much bone sauce on there. It seems to be working great. So point being, when it comes to these trees, everything that had bone sauce on it, and I'm going to do a video. So for the ones that are wondering, I'm going to do a video and show you exactly how we're going about remedy. Uh, we're going to go about trying to remedy this issue. It's not trying. All I got to do is put it on there. And then I'm going to come back and record it again and show you that this stuff does work. But it works best when it's directly on what you're trying to protect. So it needs to be a woody surface. Don't ever put it on your uh, tomatoes. <laughs> you don't want to put it on yeah, anything don't green. don't put it directly on anything green. That's right. Including your trees. So don't put it any on any uh, new growth or uh, leaves. All right. So, son, one more little thing. Uh, picked up some night vision out there. Can't wait to give that a shot. Can't believe we haven't done it already. Yeah, I want to see what's up in the sky at night. Yeah, well, okay, so you had to go and go. You had to go there, <laughs> I huh? see what's up. Yeah. <laughs> I've been uh, doing these interviews with Tony, Dad. <laughs> yeah, so he's over at the confessional. So, yeah, you want to check him out, too. Yeah. Also, Holler Roast uh, Affiliate. Folks, I've been going on and on about um, how we need to be supporting one another. So many of you out there have, have been supporting us. We, we sell things that you should never have to buy again for the most part. Well, we, let's just shout out some of those people that like everyday things we people already use that they can use they they can go to a fellow homesteader and support them. There's Nicole yeah, with the coffee. Yeah, Rose Coffee, which we're now affiliates with her. Yeah, there's uh, Shelly's going to have soap before too long. Right, and uh, that's Two Old Crows Homestead. They're not quite ready. Also, the you got... music. Well, yeah, yeah, don't Hire forget, a local artist. That's exactly what we did for uh, our YouTube channel. And then we're going to start using some of the music in this podcast and now we're going to keep the gap band in the front and the back, but the music in the middle, we're going to mix yeah, the that up transitions. We can mix that up to whatever we want. Cause we're not worried about monetization on yes. this podcast. Everybody, please try to support each other out there. I mean, like I said before, if we all gave each other affiliate links for everything that we sell, that's worthwhile and it has to be worthwhile. It can't be some junk, you know? And that's the beauty about all of us being private business owners. Look, they are giving away 80-some billion to all these people out there. Meanwhile, people in the grocery store are flipping coins whether or not they can buy little things. So, look, if we're going to do anything worthwhile in this economy, in all the things that are going on, we're going to have to step up. I mean, like I always say, you better smell the corruption or you're going to be drinking the hemlock one way or the other. Um I, yep. I can't have, thank you so much. <laughs> but no, even those guys that like made that, that, that awesome dude that made those knives for us, we're going to, we're going to yeah, show those I knives in the video. I man. can't wait to process the next animal so we can test those knives. Those knives are awesome. And he sent you one too. Yeah. He sent me one. Mine's, mine's an inch and a half longer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that means you get to do all the work next time. But right. yours has more, um, flex to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it's, it it's does. cool how you can temper these knives differently and get different results out of them. That's right. So some of that local news going on out there, there was, um, you know, and when we cover news, it's going to be things that are relevant to what you may or what I may be having to experience as a homesteader, permaculture designer, whatever the case may be. Uh, one of the big things out there, y'all, and man, it's just heartbreaking is all these people dropping their dogs and cats. And even uh, I saw this thing about hamsters, man. They just put them in cages outside these shelters. Um, hamsters? Hamsters, man. I mean, boy, if you're having trouble feeding a hamster at the end of the day, man, you yeah. got some problems, nephew. Yeah, you can just go outside real quick. It's amazing how many people don't understand that these animals didn't, like, they didn't begin eating pellets, like hamster pellets. 
Yeah, but let's not also forget, too, that what's also going to happen for those of us that live rurally, we're going to run to, I suspect, in the coming days, we're going to run into what we used to run into all the time back in Texas, and that's these fools dropping their pets off. Yeah, the dogs. Yeah, they'll just drop their dogs off, sometimes puppies, man. That would kill your mom. Oh, yeah. Well, it didn't help that you'd bring them home, Dad. Well, no, I borrowed borrowed some dogs, man. Of Dad trying to rent a puppy one time. Dad took my cousin to, what was it, Tractor Supply or something like that? And then they had the whole setup outside of Tractor Supply, like, hey, we're giving away puppies and stuff. And Dad says, he just wants to borrow the puppy for the day. And he says, can I bring him back later? And they're like, if we're here, you can bring him back. No, they, they said, we'll be here, Jack. They were gone. Anyways, they were gone. They so had one less puppy. With dog. So, yeah. And Dad then tried your mom, to bring the puppy back. The and one mom wouldn't have it. <laughs> no, the one time your mom fake cried and she was awful at it was she's over here. If you if you take that dog back, I'm gonna go back and get it. And that is the homeless looking puppy we have called Nala. Yeah, yeah, that dog, man. I'm not so sure that thing didn't come from Plum Island. And that but, dog really could be. I think it might be more cat. Dad, that's the wrong one. <laughs> that's the wrong one. <laughs> hey, that was a sign for you to ease up, man. <laughs> so when we come back, y'all, we're going to get into those zones. So you definitely want to play. You want to stick around for that. In fact, I think we'd be fooling ourselves if we had an audience this large and didn't realize that there were some enemies present. All right, some of that immortal technique, y'all. We're going to be getting into more of those, more of the artists you don't know about. And that was about the f- most of that song we could play on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, there's other stuff on there that he might be able to, that we might be able to get into. Um, you know, we're going to always try to keep this thing as rated G as possible. When I say we're going to talk about things on the YouTube channel, when I was saying we're going to get into things that we can't necessarily discuss on YouTube, well, it allows us also to expand into those areas that so many people email about, and I don't necessarily have time to go through and answer every little thing about it. It's not that I don't want to, folks. I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. So... That brings us into what we're going to discuss today, and that's talking about zones, permaculture zones. Folks, this is probably one of the biggest, most neglected things out there in terms of zoning. You're thinking, okay, well, what does that mean to me? Well, it means everything to you, y'all. We've talked about it ad nauseum on various YouTube videos, but we're going to go into it in greater detail today. And why are zones so important, son? I mean, it's the backbone to the efficiency on your farm, on your homestead. Uh, The zoning can really make or break a lot of systems for your homestead. Like, for example, the example you use all the time, putting chickens out in zone five just ensures that your chickens are going to die from predators or you're going to start hating working with the chickens because you have to go out to zone five. Seen it too many times. I mean, where with zone five, folks, just so you know, we'll cover what those are. Zone five is basically wilderness, okay? It's and if, the area you visit very infrequently. And you visit it to go out and learn, typically. When you say, and you've heard me talk about it even in the videos, if you watched our YouTube channel, that these zones, zone five is where you go out there and you look around and then you take home what you've learned. Right. And zones can also change. 
Like they they don't have to stay zone five. Like it can be temporary zone five until you're ex- like get to that point of expansion as now, well. Now, when you're out there working on a homestead, this is important, y'all. Start okay, zone son. You got zone zero through five. Just right out of the gates, what zone do you work on first? Zone zero. Why? Because it's where you're going to be spending the most time. It's where you're living. It's your home. Well, unless you're us. I mean, it's probably where we spend the least. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe this is zone five you for have, us. You have to have a zone zero. You have to have that. I mean, you have to at least have a place to live on the property. It's a place. Or a place where you're going to live on the property. Right. So that's zone zero. Think about start there because it will get your juices flowing for the rest of your property. Now you're thinking, okay, how does that make sense? Well, think about your kitchen. Start there. You can even break it down to every room in your house and look at it as its own individual zone. Well, that could get complicated for the zoning. Yeah, but just think about it in terms of a kitchen, okay? So let's say you got a stove over here, right? You don't put your pots and pans up in your uh, bedroom. Where do you put them? You put them where it's relevant, right? Right, in the kitchen. Right. You don't put your dishes and plates, unless you're living in an efficiency, you don't put those in the basement. You put them where they're needed. You put them where they're relevant. So that is just a case study right there on how zoning should work. Okay, in your bathroom, you don't put the toilet paper in there in the shower. It doesn't belong. <laughs> well, I There's mean, worse places to put the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> that could also be in the bedroom. <laughs> right, right. But you think about it. These things go where they belong. So just as common sense is your guide for where you put things in your house It is no different for the way you put things in your yard, your acreage, your farm, your homestead, whatever you want to call it. There's no different. So think about these zones in terms of how they should be organized. So zone zero, I even say there's a zone 0.5, son. Want to know what that is? What's that? Um, For me, a zone 0.5, okay, if zone zero is your house, and then you have that organized exactly the way it ought to be, I call zone 0.5 what you would have in something like an earthship. And I'm calling that the, uh, I don't, I've never heard it said that way, but I'm going to call it a, um, the greenhouse, the greenhouse. The yeah. yeah. I'm going to call it. It could even be your sunroom or even your front porch. Right. Like we start a lot of seeds. Mom starts a lot of seeds on the front porch. Right there. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So that's your, so the zones, the lower the number in the zone, the more frequently you visit or the more time you spend there. Okay. So that's a real helpful thing. And that can also be helpful when deciding placement of certain things like, well, I'll wait till we get into zone one, but zone zero is the place where you're going to live. Your main headquarters. It could even be your office. Yeah. Yep. Zone zero. Right. So zone 0.5, which is what I'm going to make a, a case for is your front porch. It may be a place where it might get limited sun, like for, like it is for us, depending on the time of year. And that might be a good place to start seeds if you don't have a greenhouse. It could be an attached greenhouse to your house. Think about how that ought to be organized. Think about what ought to be in there. Do you want to start seeds there? Is it a full-time productive place where you grow food? It could be any number of things, but there is a, I I make that argument that there is a 0.5. Okay. So with that said, um, zone one, so what would you put in there? Zone one, you want to be thinking about things that need constant attention um, and you want to put them in the way. So like our chicks right now, we have chicks and they need constant attention multiple times throughout the day. Right now they're in the garage. The garage is our main access point in and out of the house. So we have to interact with the chicks just by virtue of going in and out of the house. 
that's an example of using well i guess that would be zone zero because it's inside the house but that's an example of putting something in your way so it forces your interaction um like your kitchen garden would go in zone one because it's specific for your kitchen so you don't have to travel to the other side of your property just to get some herbs for whatever you're cooking right maybe herb you know and some of these things can expand out and hopefully we'll cover that a little bit more but some of these herb gardens where would you want to put that? I would put that in zone one. Yeah, you'd want to put that in zone one. Um, also, if you have like a nursery where you're having to take care of seedlings and stuff like that, if you don't have a point five like a porch or something, you want to keep them in your zone one or even your zone zero, but definitely in your zone one because they need constant attention and you need to interact with them often. Right. If it's even a place where you have a, let's say you park your car, you walk up to the house, that something that forces you to look around as you're walking into the house is also things you would situate there. That's why you would place like your kitchen garden on the pathway on the way into your front door or right outside the door of your kitchen. If you have a door by your kitchen, folks, I know force yourself to interact with it. There's a number of you out there almost thinking, okay, that seems like common sense. And it is, and it is for a lot of people, but believe it or not, it is not for a lot of others because more than once, I've seen, once again, that example of chickens in zone five, but there's also people that have taken, and I've witnessed this, they've taken um, what should be a kitchen garden and have situated it for the most foolish reasons in, let's say, zone three. Right. Most of the time, especially down south, is out of concern for snakes, but... Well, I, I don't, I don't know. understand that. Everything is downhill after Australia. <laughs> Everything's down. I don't have the same respect for North American snakes anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You water moccasins. Yeah. You're just going to. How many times out in the food forest or anything like that and in the garden or anything like that? How many times have you come across a snake? Well, here, almost nothing. But in Texas, I mean, it wasn't uncommon to come across a rattlesnake. In the raised beds, though? God in you. Not in the raised beds, though. No, most no, of, never. Most of the time, you'd come across those king snakes, which eat the babies of those rattlesnakes and stuff. Yeah. You, but, I mean, you know, yeah, if they're inside all, the house, that's still an issue. At the end of the day, it's still a foolish reason to put a garden out there. It's like the snakes are not going to, you know, those snakes are not going to get the memo and say, oh, the garden's over here, so I'm not going to come in closer. It's... It's, it's foolish fear in that regard. So that zone one needs to be, um, that zone one needs to have things that are relevant to zone one. That one place where they put the garden in like zone three, you know, every, every time I saw a rattlesnake, it was over by the house. Yeah. Not in the garden. Yeah. I never saw a rattlesnake in the garden. Yeah. Cause it was over there sunning itself on the rocks that were used for decoration around that house. I mean, yeah. so folks, I mean, you gotta be thinking about where to put these things because when you talk to some of the most efficient homesteads out there, like if you ever visit deep South homestead, um, I'm not even sure Danny understood zones when he first put this thing together, he put them in the, the places where they are, which are perfectly placed because it just made common sense. There's other people that do it for that reason too, that like, okay, I'm going to put this here. I'm going to zoning in many ways is just common sense. But for some people, they may not have that background. Like people that come from a construction background are used to putting things in a, what's called a lay down area, meaning that it's, it's in a place that when you need it, it's available for you. So what I've noticed is that the people that come from that sort of background always seem to know pretty good placement when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. They usually do. Yeah. Um, not so often with the people coming from the tech background, though. Yeah, but folks, you can learn it. And that's exactly why, you know, all these things are available to you. You just got to go out there and study it. But in fact, this is why you really should have, doesn't have to be one of us, 
it's why you really ought to have somebody else look at whatever design you come up with with your property because right. they might say to you hold on bro you got something in zone two that really ought to be in zone four it could even be a fellow homesteader i mean just have somebody else look at it like a fellow homesteader that isn't you know the one that you rely on Right. Stuff like that. Now we're going to look at these zones right now in terms of concentric rings. Okay. Zone zero being the house zone one being things like, you know, that we discussed a moment ago. Now let's get into zone two. Now imagine a ring further out. Now folks, if you're new at this, do yourself a favor. I know you're going to want uh, many of you that are moving on to new homesteads out there are going to feel the compulsion to want to work on this, work on that, work on that, work on this. You will make yourself 10 times more efficient if you don't know what you're doing by working on your closest zones first. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about clearing zone five until you have a garden in zone one or two. Exactly. Get get the backbone of this stuff down first. You want to make absolutely sure, and it's going to make life easier for you. And while you're thinking about, while you're working on zone one or zone two, you're already, you're subconsciously working about what you want in zones three and four. Okay, so zone two, son, what what are some of the things that you might find there? You could be grazing animals intermittently in zone two. You could have your chickens and rabbits in zone two. Your garden could be in zone two or zone one. Um, these are things like your main crop garden, not necessarily your kitchen garden or your herb garden um, or a perennial garden even. Um these are going to be things that need attention maybe once or twice a day. Very minimal attention. Or Right. And keep in mind that some of these zones, depending on how you operate, depending on how you run your operation, some of these zones may not be in a perfect or in a permanent place. For example, take, for example, a chicken tractor. It may be, um, you know, for one period of time in the year, it may be in zone two. Or it may just be there for a couple of weeks because if you're constantly moving this thing, and in some cases, in many cases, you might. Now, there are holistic ways in which you can keep things more static. Right. Yeah, there are. Like, there's the urban chicken track. That's actually what I was helping Jason out with in New York is he's trying to do the chicken tractor on steroids, but he has to keep it stationary. So that's what we were trying to work out at his place. And he's doing a high tunnel and hopefully pigs. Right. And and you can also have you can also have a lot of these things that overlay. Like, you're, you're talking about the... You got these chickens in this particular in this particular zone. Let's say it's a um, a more static place. So you're doing a deep bedding method. I'm taking out there in New York. The, this is a consultation that he just recently did, y'all. Right, where the bedding goes into the compost cage and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. So they may not have the advantage of being mobile, but in his case, in in certain spaces, your zones may be really really small. Your zone one, where you are in New York, in that place may be considerably smaller than my zone one here. Right. Yeah. The size of your land can also dictate the sizes of the zones. Um, also, this is kind of a difficult thing to talk about over the podcast, but zones aren't exactly perfect concentric circles around your property as well. For example, we have zone five literally right behind the house we have zone five right behind the house it's wilderness we don't really have access to it right now it's just above the terrace that justin has dug that would be considered zone five we hardly go back there it's basically wilderness now at the very bottom of the property which is almost at the other end of the property that would be like the food forest would be considered zone three 
And the reason that's considered zone three, but the property or the land right behind the house is considered zone five is because we have easy access to zone three. It's right up against the driveway. So your access can also dictate zones as well. Exactly. So we're, we're talking about it in terms of concentric circles around that place, but that's not a real reality. I mean, but just, it helps to illustrate it that way. So if you can maybe close your eyes, unless you're driving, of course, Close your eyes and then just imagine zone zero as your house. Zone one, that first little ring around there. We talked about what's in there. Zone two. Okay, maybe you got a chicken coop out there. Maybe you have some animals that are grazing in close proximity. Maybe it's sheep. It could be anything like that. If now, you're living in a sub suburban area, you might only have zone up to zone two. Right. And that might be the back of your backyard. Right. Like the back half of it. That may be as far as you need to go. And believe me, you can do some extraordinary things in some of those small lots. Small square footage, um, what is it, like higher production higher per square foot. Yep, yep, because it forces you to be able to maximize the space you have. So zone two, it's um, and these things can come in and out. Okay, zone three, son, what are we looking at there? That's going to be more of your grazing um, and some of your like really big main crops, like your corn, your grains and stuff like that. That's going to be, but largely for us, it's grazing. Um, and the sheep dipping in and out of the zone two and zone three, and even up to zone, I would call it zone four, not necessarily zone five. The pigs definitely graze up in zone five, but you could also make the argument that once the pigs are grazing in that it area, just became zone four that, or even zone three, one yes. of the two. Yeah. Yes. Depending on exactly. So you can take, if you reclaim zone five, which like we said in the beginning was wilderness. If you can reclaim that and bring it into production, then it might've just made itself into zone four, maybe zone three, Possibly in our case, once we, because our zone five was much closer. Now zone five is kicked out a little bit more. And what was once zone five is now zone two, because now it is very, very accessible to us just by, because we now have a terrace on that first part. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's zone three, you know what well, else? That terrace, I would even call that, I would call that zone one. It's so close to the house. Right. It's right behind the house. I mean, you right. could walk off the porch and walk onto the sweat or to the terrace if you wanted to. Right. But the reason why I'm going to call it more like a zone three and how we treat it is because of the level of frequency that is required from us. Okay. Because it requires yeah. so little requirement because that area of the side, that mountain, we don't have any animals out there. We have basically all perennial species out there. We got a food forest, well, or orchard rather, that's going up the side of this mountain. And it requires very little care. So I'm going to call that zone. You could say in terms of proximity to the house, it's really zone one. But in terms of how often we visit it, it's probably zone three or four. Well, you can also, the zoning can also change the other direction as well. So let's say you're starting off a food forest. It's going to be zone, it's going to be considered zone like one or two at first because it's going to require a lot of attention at the beginning. And then as it matures, it's eventually going to turn into zone three or four or even five if, you know, depending. Right. So ask yourself when it comes to something like, let's say an orchard or even something like a food forest that you eventually kind of write yourself out of in terms of maintenance, you never completely do, but you know, to a great extent you do. Um, so let's say it's an orchard. Well, it's not something you need to visit every day. You might even visit it maybe once a week. So look at that in terms of how it is situated in your landscape. Do you necessarily need that orchard in zone one? No, 
depending on your lot, of course. I mean, if you have. Yeah, it, it all depends. Like our orchard, I mean, there's parts of the orchard that are very far from the house and parts of the orchard that are very close to the house. And it's all zone two and three because of the access that we have. Right. So these zones, as we're driving up that driveway, you could essentially say that every bit of it is zone two because it's, you can literally step yeah. out of your vehicle, pick, move on. And that was part of the design also, folks. So don't dis. when you think about this, look at your design on paper over and over and over again. So we situate our orchards as it stands right now in very close proximity to the driveway. So it makes everything easier. Did we leave off on zone four or five? Or which, no, we, which were, zone? we were at zone three. We didn't okay. even get into zone four yet. We were still covering zone three. So that's where okay. zone three is where you're going to situate a lot of the things that you visit infrequently. Maybe that's where you want your orchard. Maybe stuff that needs attention, but not nearly as much attention. You're, it's basically levels of attention, like how much attention everything needs. The more attention it gets, put it closer to your access. That's exactly it in a nutshell. But it also, there are things that could, okay, just because you want your fruit closer to the house, maybe, or maybe you just like the way it looks. There's also that level of permaculture. You can you can step outside your zones. But in terms of efficiency, the things that require, just look at it that way. As far as asking yourself, how do I situate this in the landscape? Ask yourself, how often do I need to visit it? Because at first, you might... Spend a little more frequency looking at your orchard. As things progress, and that's where you ought to be looking, because maybe not now, but three years from now, how often am I looking at it at this point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then also, I mean, you might have a temporary zone two that's away from your house as well. Like James and Ashley, for them to utilize their zone. Zone at James and Ashley. You got to tell them. Oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, Strand Farm. Check them out. Strand Farm. Um, but James and Ashley, for them to utilize their zone two for full sun gardening, they'd have to chop down a lot of trees, but instead they have a pasture down at the bottom of their property that they could utilize right away. So that could be their temporary zone two until they get the trees, like an adequate number of trees cleared to use their zone two for a full size garden or full sun garden. And that's just an example that, I mean, they're definitely doing wonderful things out there. None of these things are written in stone. These zones can change. Just like we illustrated going out the back door of our house, it was zone five, quite literally 10 feet away from the house. Well, we expanded ourselves and we took that and we reclaimed that zone five. Zone five was part of the driveway. Yeah. It was reaching yeah, into when the we driveway. we first got here. Yeah. I wish we'd have done a better job of really showing what was here before we started doing a lot of work because there were so yeah. many things we did not record. Yeah, because uh, it was just junk. I mean... I mean, yeah, we're we still pulling up junk out of this place. Yeah, yeah, the pigs are still discovering stuff. Right. So let's get into zone four. So what are you going to see out there? It might be your cattle. Yeah, it's going to be your larger grazing animals. You might have your pigs out there grazing in zone four. Um, it could be hunting land, you know, land that you visit seasonally. Um, it's, it's going to be stuff like that. Uh, like if you have a shooting range, you might want to put that in zone four. Um, you know. You could Those also situate your orchards out there. You could put your, yeah, you could definitely put your orchards out in zone four if you wanted to. Food or forest? your orchards could become zone four. Same thing with your food forest. They could become zone four. Right, because your food forest, the way you're doing that is that sooner or later you're writing yourself out of the maintenance script, okay? That's the whole notion of a food forest. The productivity is not going to be what it is for an orchard. But then again, the maintenance and the care, you, 
With a food force, when it's off and running, it really doesn't require much out of you. So do you want something like that in very close proximity to the house? Or do you want it out and away? Or maybe for tactical reasons, preparedness reasons, because really it's baked into permaculture as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you may want that thing out and away in a position, in a place that is not readily or easily seen. Think about that. Some of these nut trees, some of these fruit trees, you may want them to kind of blend into the landscape, especially this day and age. So that is also something, and you might be looking at in terms of silvopasture. I mean, you could hide all kinds of fruit trees and nut trees right out in the open just using forest edge and stuff. They're just going to see green on green with branches in between. They're not going to notice a tree or anything like that. Or for tactical reasons, you may put a nitrogen fixer in front of it to kind of shield, let's say, because people are fundamentally not used to seeing uh, geometric shapes like circles and stuff in nature. So when you do see an apple tree that is full of apples, it's going to stick out to you. So it might make sense between the primary uh, point of approach. Let's say it's a road that skirts your property or, or maybe it's a driveway. You may want to situate some nitrogen fixtures that are taller. Let's say a black locust, um, or, you know, a red bud or whatever that's situated between you and there, because when it, when the leaves are off, nobody's going to know one tree by and large as right. a passerby. They're not going to know one tree from the next. But in the growing season, you could shield that tree in zone four with a series of other trees. And you could use that also as a silvopasture. Um, and what I mean by that, folks, is a place where you have productive trees out there that are interplanted, that are um, that are being interacted with. With less, let's say you're grazing animals. It could be pigs. It could be cows. It could be anything. Yeah. So they could be knocking out a nut mast or any number of things. Yeah, for sure. And think about how some of these things can, like, okay, so swales. People are going to ask, and they have asked, so where should my swales be situated? What zone would you put those in? It depends. You, yeah, <laughs> it depends. You could put them on any, I mean, you could use a uh, swale in zone one to deflect water away from your house. So, I mean, it just, it, it depends. Sorry, guys. Yeah. The, <laughs> it just depends. And, and folks, that's not a cop-out. It really, that was one of the biggest things that frustrated me when I first started understanding. And then, like I said, you can use it as a means of frustration or you could use it as a means of empowerment. Because if it all depends, then that tells me you have a greater share of how this thing gets situated in your landscape. So depending on how it's needed, somebody's thinking, well, I need to put swale in zone four. Or I need to put it in zone whatever. It the, all depends. The biggest limiting aspect on a lot of uh, designs, um, just in general, is the human aspect. I mean, there are tons of opportunities and possibilities on a lot of these properties as far as like how to design it, how to organize everything. The limiting factor 99% of the time is the human aspect. Right. Now, think about these zones also in terms of, let's say, okay... Look at it this way. So let's say you got zone one through five on your property. Let's say you do have that wilderness area like we do. Um, okay, all of a sudden you go back there, you decide you're going to put a tree house and you're going to have an Airbnb back there. Or let's say it's some tiny home thing. You're going to make an Airbnb out of it. Well, you got to ask yourself, okay, so that Airbnb may be zone four to you, but to the person at that Airbnb, it just became zone zero. So the outhouse shouldn't be in your zone one. <laughs> it should be in their zone one. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm getting at. So you, this isn't confusing, folks. Just look at it in terms of it, just play with it. There honestly. can be multiple series of zones on the same property. There can be like... 
like the high tunnel. I would consider that zone two, but the food forest just down the road from it is zone three. I mean, there's different, I don't know. I guess I didn't explain that well, but oh, like multiple occupancies. That's an example of multiple uh, series of zones on the same property. So you can take, like I said, these things are not written in stone. And I know this seems confusing. Just examine it for a little while. There are some online resources you can do. Um, this is one of those things that might require a video on down the road. We've talked about it to some extent. Yeah, we've done a permaculture zones video before. Right. Where we've given examples and stuff like that. Right. And these zones for us, because nothing's static here, they change for us. So chickens at one point may be in zone two, and then later on they may very well be in zone three. So it all depends depending on where they are located on that property. But in terms of our frequency, that doesn't change. Our frequency and how we manage these animals, and because we do everything in a, in a high-density kind of way, there's nothing that stays static. So it requires a great deal more out of you. Um, something, let's, let's say like a chicken tractor on steroids. For those of you that are new, go to our YouTube channel. You'll find it. Now, something like that, it might work very well in zone three into a place you intend to turn into a food forest, or it might work very well within zone two for exactly the same reasons. So just position these things like a pond. You might, okay, your landscape's going to determine a lot of that too, or it should. Yeah. I mean, your ponds could be in zone one or they could be in zone five or they could be in both. Um, yeah. I think you should have as many ponds as you, can fit on your property that makes sense. Right. And we're going to be hopefully doing some of that in the near future. And also, you know, swales that make sense for right. us in the yeah. areas that where it does make sense. And uh, the way we manage everything, every property we do at this point on is always swales mixed into wh where they're needed, of course, honestly. But to say I need my swale in zone two or zone three or whatever, it all depends on what you're wanting to do with that landscape. Your zone doesn't dictate your swale, I guess. That's your, a good way of looking yeah, at it, yeah. Your, your zone doesn't dictate your swale. Exactly. So, folks, I know some of this stuff might seem a little bit confusing, but believe me, you want to hang in there because it just requires a little of examination. All right, y'all. Now we're going to get into the Q&A section of this podcast. This is one of my favorite parts, man. I mean, actually, this podcast, really, son, um, even if nobody else listens out there, it's very cathartic to me, and it forces me to go back and examine a lot of things that I already know and knew, but it makes me go into greater detail because when you teach this, it honestly bolsters your own understanding of this stuff. Right. You Like, uh, I mean you learn best whenever you have to reteach it to somebody else like uh james and ashley back at strand farm they were during the processing uh class we did with the sheep over at renewed homestead they were saying they what watch one teach do one. one teach one yeah something like that yeah, but watch one do one teach one i thought it was a really good uh methodology in, in getting through um I, I honestly folks i'll go back to it and i'll say it over and over and over again it is nearly when it comes to this kind of vocation, I don't see how 
yes, you can read a book and that's good. You can go out there and be an autodidact and self teach yourself a lot of this stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But when, if you can get the opportunity, um, even if it means paying somebody money to learn an apprenticeship, you will be thankful for it because you can, you know, it's like Da Vinci once wrote in one of his notebooks and he wrote, uh, poor is a pupil that does not surpass his master. Well, with the benefit of that being that your master poured all of their knowledge into you. So you should be able to take it past where you found it. Just like William in so many different ways is past me in so many profound ways. And son, your son should, or daughter or whatever the case may be should, if they decide to do this vocation, they should be able to take that generational wisdom that they got collectively from me and you and take it past where they found it. It should work like that. Yeah. I mean, sadly, in a lot of uh, families, it doesn't work like that. They don't have the generational wisdom <laughs> or anything like that. Well, I think that's been by design too, but that's definitely a day for another podcast. But before yeah. we get into the Q and a son, tell everybody, um, you know, what you did over the last several days, as far as where you've been and what you did. Oh, I drove up to the suburbs of North Carolina, not North Carolina, the suburbs of New York city. Um, and did a homestead consultation there for a gentleman named Jason and his family. They have an awesome family and they made this, uh, roasted pork. I, I can't remember the name of it. It starts with a P. Um, I don't even know what country it came from, but it was off the hook. And then his wife made uh pork sandwiches afterwards for the next day. Wow. It was off the hook. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then drove down, did that one. I'm trying to convince him. I know he's listening. I'm trying to convince him to uh, start a YouTube channel and show everybody he's going to have pigs in the city. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's going to, if he can do that there, that's going to show that you can do that basically anywhere. If he's getting away with it in the suburbs of New York City, you can get away with it in a lot of different places. But, um, so did that and then did uh, two more consultations or one more consultation for two a family um, down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. All right. Well, yeah, you were on your bicycle this last several days. And of course, you know, leaving, oh, leaving also, us to do all the work around here. Well, you guys didn't deal with crazy drivers. Apparently the shoulder in New York is just a passing lane. I, it happens so often that I got used to it. People will pass you on the shoulder in New York city in in that area. It's like every state has their own thing, you know, like I remember in Oklahoma, nobody uses turn signals, which used to drive me crazy. And in Missouri, people will actually get on the off ramp on the interstate and accelerate. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So people back like up in New York, they will use their turn signal to let you know they're about to cut you off. (laughs) They will, they will take up. If there's any space in between you and the vehicle in front of you, it is a usable spot for them to like occupy their car. Well, all the more reason why I don't even want to be on the road half the time anyway, even though drivers around here are rather um, benign. Now, Texas, man, it was like a badge of honor there, man, for guys to, you know, rack up how many different accidents they were in, but let's not get too far afield. Yeah. What were the questions? Yeah. (laughs) Let's, let's get in there. Um, okay. So Q and a, here we go. Um, man, we keep coming back to this when people are wondering, um, a, are we rich? No. Um, how do you develop multiple income streams? Okay. Well, I'll cover that a little bit more. We've, as of late, we actually did a show with, uh, John Willis and Nicole sauce. Um, both of them have great YouTube channels. Nicole even has a podcast. 
and um, John runs SOE special operations, uh, special operations equipment. Um, it was a, it was honestly one of the more popular videos we ever did on the subject. So I would refer you back to that. It was but, actually uh, the episode right before this on the podcast. The audio was, was uploaded. Well, it won't be It won't be hard. Oh, that's right. It was yeah. on here. Okay, so yeah. it was a previous podcast. So, uh, yeah, I guess I better start listening to my own stuff. So, well, <laughs> yeah. um, Thanks, Dad. Regard- Spent all that time editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good job, son. Uh, yeah, so as far as multiple streams of income, I've talked about that before. Um, the model that our family has done and it's worked, it's served us well for years now, is we don't, we live a low consumption lifestyle, meaning that we don't have car payments and stuff like that. We don't have tractor payments. We don't have a bunch of um, things that everybody else seems to think by and large are important. But we also don't have new vehicles or uh, a tractor. Right. We don't have those things either. But, yeah. but the we thing rent is, them when we need them. Well, concerning whenever we open up an income stream, the idea from the very beginning was to have multiple streams of income and be able to survive and get everything we need done on one. And that is what we have diligently worked at. We haven't increased, you know, you don't see any in our, <laughs> you're not going to see any brand new vehicles or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we buy everything used and do they require work from time to time? Yeah, but we put the money back for that sort of thing. Um, so when you open up a stream of income and at the same time, try to get rid of your debt, I know this stuff seems self-evident for so many people out there, but honestly, if you do what most electricians, when I was in the electrician's trade, they make more money and then get more bills, make more money, get more bills. And it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. It seems like that is what most people do. Well, read that book, rich dad, poor dad, read the millionaire next door. And uh, read those books and then you might, if you, it might give you some ideas about how maybe you ought to be structuring your life in terms of your expenses. And honestly, I don't, look, I derive no joy, no joy out of knowing that my paycheck is going to make a car payment. I derive no joy out of being able to keep up with the Joneses. I derive no joy out of that. Uh, the The joy I get is knowing that I get to spend every day with my family. It's not always peaches, but you know, name one relationship that always is. So, you know, in that regard, I I hope to have a better, I want to structure this a little bit better to help people out. But honestly, think of little ways to start a little side hustle. It could be a, it could be anything. And if you could take something that you currently do that you find interesting, I don't care if it's time flies for fly fishing. It could be anything. Try a little that actually side could be pretty profitable. People make some pretty good money off making those uh those flies for fly fishing. I never would have thought it until right after you took those uh fly fishing lessons. I was looking at those flies and yeah, there's some high price flies. Right now there is that, but I'm just using that as a just one example of it, so yeah. many different ways you can go to make a hustle. Start out there. with what you're interested in and is make the point because there's other people stuff. that are going to be interested in that as well. Make it the best you can. Maybe also in the homestead realm, try to look outside the box in terms of what everybody else is doing. Find something that is needed that isn't being filled right now. Um, You know, we took, I didn't invent bone sauce, but we made it better and we made it more powerful. Um, You know, I didn't invent that and I couldn't believe somebody hadn't already marketed it. 
But right now we're the only game in town, and plus we invented a method that makes it the way we have it. And sometimes you don't even have to be inventive, like uh, comfrey. We, I mean, all we we it's a plant we use all the time, so we sell it. And it's a plant. I mean, so you could look at it look at it like a that point of view. If there's something you use all the time, sell it. Another question, son. Why don't we have a tractor? Well, there's a lot of places where a tractor wouldn't even make sense on our property because it's so steep. But also, we don't want a tractor payment. And if we need we need one so infrequently, it just makes sense for us to rent one. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Just like Greg Judy wrote in his books also, like why he doesn't have a tractor. is like, okay, the several times I need it out of the year, is it worth buying one, having to deal with the maintenance and all that stuff? Do you use it? You might have some places where you use it regularly, but depending on the operation, does it make sense? Would it make better sense instead of a tractor and all the moving parts on it? Would it make better sense to have a UTV? Well, yeah, it would. But also, if we had a tractor, I would use it at times just because we have a tractor. Right, <laughs> right. Know, it's going to increase the likelihood of you using it as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, there is that. But, um, you know, yeah, at previous properties, we've had, you know, access to tractors and stuff like that. But I'm a big believer in renting when we need something like a UTV. That would be nice to have. Yeah. We just don't, you know, Unless I'm not going to spend one for a fortune on a good deal. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to spend a fortune. We're not going to go broke or go into payments, making one or, right. you know, hanging out. And nobody's selling one for a good price right now. <laughs> no. And okay. So a couple more questions here, man, we got to get to, um, one of them is, why are you so tough on other permaculture people? <laughs> I don't think we're that tough. We just want, like, the standard is pretty low. Just start growing food. Yeah. Um, I think the ones we're tough on are the ones that pretend to be, uh, or leading people down the wrong path and stuff like that. Well, it was like John Willis said in the um, live stream I did with him and Nicole and the guys from EMP Shield. Um it's, it's funny, the ones that are crying biggest from the rooftop, you say, show me what you're doing, Jack. And nine yeah. times out of ten, they got nothing to show. And they should be held to a higher standard. It's one thing if somebody's just now getting into it and they're doing everything wrong, but they're trying their hardest. Right. It's completely different if you're claiming to teach other people how to do these things and you're intentionally doing things incorrectly. Because if you took your PDC, you know that some of these things that you're doing are just flat out incorrect. And the information you're putting out is just incorrect. Or some of you permaculture guys and gals that are going out there, you just got finished with your PDC and you're telling some old hand who's been doing it the way they've been doing it all their lives. You're going out there telling them they can't, that right. they're messed up. Well, guess what? You just poisoned the well by the way you approach a lot of these people where they never even want to look into permaculture. So I'm tough on you guys also. And Honestly, there's a lot of you people that are, look, I don't have to mind what I say here. There's a lot of you people that are purple people. I don't like you. Okay. Purple what? breathers. Dad. Yeah. Whatever you are. Purple people. It's not Pur your fault if you're purple, but if yeah. you're a purple breather. <laughs> I, I just, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back. I don't have to. I don't like you a lot of times because you're the same people trying to tell me what I need to do with my harvest. And you cross yeah. that line, Jack, you're going to be you're going to be given to what fur? Well, you're also the same people concerned about catching rainwater off your shingle roof, but you have an iPhone. Yeah. The same purple breathers. Yeah, see, it's it's this um, you know, you have this you know, there's this sanctimonious thing that goes on with a lot of these people that honestly burns me up because at the end of the day, what are you doing? 
Um, you know, you're, you're sitting here, you have all this permaculture philosophy and all that good stuff, but what are you doing? And that's why I'm tough on you people, because so many people I know of that are, that have been completely turned off of permaculture. And many of them are people that could have turned this whole thing upside down in terms of development. But the second they come across a lot of these people and they come, you know, they hear this nonsense they're talking and they're thinking, oh, these are all a bunch of leftist lunatics. Yeah. They don't even want to hear another word about permaculture. Right. I mean, that's the reason a lot of people don't use the word permaculture. And it's exactly what they're doing. Like Joel, he just recently started talking about permaculture. Right. Greg Judy, I don't know if, does he ever mention, he well, might mention it every once Greg in a while. Greg Judy, it, I would love to ask him one of these days and ask him, he had talked about somebody coming out there putting in these swales. Oh, and, yeah. um, I, I don't know what the situation was on that, but I would like to know the details of that, but it could very well have been one of these people. Um, there's a lot of people out there, y'all in the building trades. I'm talking plumbers, electricians, carpenters, a number of other people out there that have been, that they would, they would make developments and transitions into this movement that would floor you, but they are reluctant to even do it because they think that all permaculture is inhabited by these purple breathers, as you call them, dirt worshiping hippies. Yeah. So we, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're not any of that. So one more thing, and then we're going to go ahead and shut it out. But I want you to cover cedar rust real quick, and the idea you had because there was a conversation I had today on the phone with uh, Ben Holler from the Holler Homestead, and he was talking about um, having cedar rust problems. We haven't I, dealt with that before. So Dad did, I don't remember if it was a short or a full video with the milk. Yeah. So I think, the, so the bacteria in the milk, if you spray it on the leaves of your trees during full sun, the bacteria on that outcompetes all the other bacteria and fungi on that, on that leaf. Cedar rust is a fungus. So I'm thinking if you do that milk often enough, in the early stages of the cedar rust, it might work. I, I don't know for sure or not, but it should, in the right conditions, it should outcompete the cedar rust. I think I it's think. worth a shot. I think it's worth a shot because, right. honestly, if you're looking at what it does, it's not killing anything. It's just outcompeting the good bacteria you're providing. Now, you want to do this in open sun, in full sun, because yeah. you don't want it lingering. Um, but it should give a boost to the beneficial stuff to possibly outcompete the bad stuff. So those are things, little tricks like that. I don't know if it's going to be a, a solution to that, but it is definitely worth looking into. Yep. All right. So that's going to do it for today, y'all folks. Y'all folks. Y'all folks. Yeah. Okay. So I, for you, for you or y'all or whatever the case may be, that's going to do it for us today. Y'all thank you so much for tuning in. Stay alert. Stay alive. 